Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church Podcast for Sunday, October 1st, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 6. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. This morning we will be in Hebrews chapter 13. We're in the last chapter of Hebrews, and the way I'm seeing it, probably three to four sermons more, so less than a month, and we will move on to uh, some other things in the Bible. Um, Not sure where we're going next, so the elders are talking about that. But this morning we'll be in Hebrews 13, 1 to 6, and the the, uh, title of the sermon is The Ethics of Acceptable Worship. And it was interesting, Greg, even in Sunday school, we talk about worship, worship and morality. That's, that's worship, and so that's where we're going to be this morning um, as we take the Lord's Supper, and as we sang forever, God is with us, and the, the, the last verse today, which we won't spend a lot of time on, but verse 6, the reason that we can be godly, the reason we can even be successful in our ethics is because the Lord is our helper. I will not fear, we will not fear, what can man do to us? And so, let me read verses one to six, and then we'll pray and then get started. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in, in honor among all, And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. These are the words of life. Father, we rely upon them. And Father, we want to be obedient to them and to listen to your words and not follow the example and what happened in the desert with your people there. Most of them perished there, except for the few and the children that came out. Father, we don't want to do that. We have a sure word now in the Lord Jesus Christ who is... As your word tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We've beheld him. So, Father, we give thanks for this word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that today he would increase and that I would decrease, that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work greatly. We are great sinners, but we have a Savior who, even as Jimmy read, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we take the Lord's Supper today, I pray for Christians that we would know that the Lord is our helper. For non-Christians, I pray pray the day they might hear the gospel and turn unto Christ, that that you would give ears to hear and eyes to see. pray in Jesus' name, amen. You would, if you've got your finger there in Hebrews, turn over to Romans chapter 12 to begin our time, verses 1 and 2. 
common verses. I hope most of us have maybe memorized these verses. But Paul says this, Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that's brothers and sisters in the Greek, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Here in Romans 12, we have an appeal to worship. And I read this, this scripture today to start us off because scripture always interprets scripture. And what Paul is saying in Romans 12 is very similar to what the author, whom I believe is Paul, but maybe not. But either way, the author is saying the same thing. Look there with me at Hebrews 12, 28. Just back a few verses. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then he says, thinking about this kingdom that we've received, therefore let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let me make a couple comments about worship um, before getting to some specifics or just a couple comments in general. Doctrine comes before acceptable worship. The writer of the Hebrews just spent how many chapters laying out the new covenant in Christ? Doctrine, 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 12 chapters. And throughout, there are some warnings of being obedient over and over and over, but there are really no specifics. Now, all of a sudden, if you're paying attention to what we read, we're, we've got a lot of specifics of applications of the new covenant. And, and so, doctrine comes before how we apply that. Same with Romans. He spent all those chapters all the way through Romans 11 and then Romans 12, here comes now, therefore, worship. This is how we do this. So that's one comment. Another comment. All of us are worshipers at heart. We're either going to worship one thing or we're going to worship something else. We're either going to worship God or we're going to worship idols. We are worship worshipers. And God commands us to worship rightly and often when we think of worship I've been guilty of this we think of worship as what we do right here right now don't we we're going to worship this morning and that's what we do we come to church on Sunday and we think now's our time of worship now that is true but I think we are in error if we separate out the rest of our life from what we do here on Sunday mornings as worship. I think even in Old Testament times, I imagine that many of the Jews, they, they did much of the same thing because we, there's no temptation that is not common to man, the same temptations um, from the fall of Adam. But I think even in the Old Testament, they considered the Sabbath or the feasts that were coming or the new moons or the festival times and they, 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 they saw those as worship and rightly so, but they would often separate out those times from the rest of their lives. And I'm Sure, um, there are folks, um, even just give an example. Hey, pastor, one of our pastors is coming by this week. So we won't, uh, we won't partake in that. We won't, we won't turn that on while the pastor's here. Or we won't say those words. Or, um, you know, maybe my pastor's wife is coming over 
this week. So let's don't, uh, let's don't watch this. Let's, let's, let's don't listen to this. We're going to be on our best behavior because she is coming over. Um, and I'll, I'll be frank, we've heard that through the years, even here at Grace. Shame on us if you would ever think like that. But at the same time, I have taught like that. Shame on me because I think what we're doing is we are comp- compartmentalizing our worship and we're saying well this is what I do when I get home but then this is what I do when I go to church and I think the more godly we get there's always going to be that I believe I mean just I have to admit even in my own life there's always that but I think the more mature we become and the more godly we become the more sanctified we become then the more we see that worship is 24 7 because by the Spirit of the living God, we are worshipers. What did Jimmy read this morning? Right from Romans 8. If you are led by the Spirit, you are sons of God. If, in fact, you have the Spirit. But if you are a Christian, and you, in fact, do have the Spirit of God, then you are a worshiper 24-7. And the reason that we are worshipers 24-7, the reason God commands us to worship, is because God is holy. And he commands us to be holy. As Greg pointed out this morning, there's there's the connection there. Really, what you do is worship 24-7. I remember when we first started meeting almost 15 and a half, 16 years ago. It was one of those unspoken things where we spoke about it. One of the things we really wanted to see change in our environment, to create an environment where worship is 24-7. So, to follow Christ is not merely to follow Him on Sundays. Life is war as a Christian, and we are always engaged. Part of that war is fighting against sin, temptation, and engaging in that war. And I hope as Christians that we're always thinking, you know, if my right hand is causing me to sin, you know, I'm not going to cut it off, but Jesus uses such language to say, let's... Let's make this war, and let's get rid of that sin, and let's be godly in all that we do. And so we must be godly, and we worship 24-7. And so with that in mind, with an introduction, that is really the context of what we're getting at in Hebrews 13, because what we just read in 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, thus let us offer to God Acceptable worship. Okay. With that in mind, I have two parts to the sermon that will help us take the Lord's Supper together and think about this topic of the ethics of worship. The first part are just practical applications of worship. The Bible is full of examples and commands. We just have a few here. I've broken them down into five parts. And so we're just going to walk briefly, not very long, but briefly through these five parts for the first part of this sermon. So that's practical applications right here, first part. Second part, very briefly, how do we do that? We do it because the Lord is with us. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So the second part, just very briefly, we will remember that the Lord is always with us and we'll consider the gospel, just for a moment before we take the Lord's Supper. So first part, what does worship look like? Ethical considerations of worship. The first one is brotherly love. 
Look at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. We immediately apply this verse within the body of Christ. But I think in the context there, in all honesty, it's both. But I think he was saying, since you Jews, because the book was written to Jewish Christians, since you Jews have received Christ, have trusted in Christ, received the kingdom, the kingdom of God revealed in the new covenant, remember your Jewish brothers and sisters, okay? Love them. Consider them, even though, because the context is going to be persecution. They're going to be persecuted by these Jewish, by these just Jews that are, that are not Christians. So I think that is the context. So he says, pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Think like Paul says in Romans uh, you know, 9, 10, and 11 there, when he talks about his brothers, sisters there, the Jews. He longs for them to be saved. Same kind of way, when we become Christians, we must not think of just um, ourselves as being above our family members who are not Christians in the sense that we are what we are because of the grace of God. So we must always keep that in mind and love even our families that are not believers, that are rebellious and that are contrary to the gospel. I think that's the, the context, but, it, but if we read the rest of the Bible... And we read the rest of this passage. He's, he's applying this to the body of Christ there in that context. So this application moves to us. It moved to them. It moves to us. Jesus says to us, a new commandment I've given to you. That you do what? That you love one another. And the, the context is still the cross. We didn't have the cross until the cross came. As I have loved you and laid down my life. For you, you also. There's your example. There was no example like that in the Old Testament. So Jesus says, love one another. And how do we love one another? As Christ loves us. This is one of the, the themes of the Apostle John. Even one of the tests of true faith. Love for the people of God. And so do you have love for God's people? And this isn't an abstract kind of love. It is, what, what does it say here? It's brotherly love. This is love for your family. I, I don't see my sister very often. I, she probably, I don't know if she'll listen to this sermon or not. If so, hello, Leanne. But she, we don't see each other very often, but I give her a hard time. I nag her. We used to fight, believe it or not, me and my sister. And I always told her, somebody's going to get hurt here. It's not going to be me. <laughs> I was just... Bigger and stronger, but when someone, she knew in high school, if John was around, that nobody was going to mess with, a lot of guys probably, who knows, could beat me up really bad, but at the same point, she was my sister, and I was going to defend her to the end of the day, because I loved her, and I wanted what was best. Even if we disagreed, even if we fought at home, in the same kind of way, we love one another in the body of Christ. This is what we do. This is unlike the world. And so let brotherly love continue. And I think that here we come today to the, what's, what's often been called the love feast. We do this together. And we do it together. And it's just a picture of our love in the body of Christ, one for another. And it is a fam familial love. Second, ethic of worship here is hospitality. Look at verse 2. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Hang on a second here. There we go. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hospitality is really an outworking of brotherly love. So there's the progression here in the text, both for the body of Christ and for the world. The command to be hospitable comes right from the law of Moses. And even before, I would argue, but in Leviticus 19, 33, here's what we read. God says to Moses and the people of Israel, When a stranger comes into your land, sojourns into your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. I think of Genesis 18. Often, angels would appear in the Old Testament, particularly. I think of Abraham right before the promise comes down to Sarah that, and Abraham that she would have a child as an old, old woman. And there, three men come down to him. I believe one of them was, the, was probably, the, 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 because there was worship and the things they did, was the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus, who was also considered a messenger from God. But this type, we see this often in the Old Testament, just regular angels appearing in form of men. And uh, I, even now, here we are in the New Testament. And he says, you know, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because there may be an angel. I do not have any personal examples of that. But, uh, and, and I'm not going to speculate here. But he says, show hospitality. And we must, I think, I think, um, why would we not be hospitable if God owns everything that we have, even our own lives? Why would we not be be willing to share ourselves and what we have with others? We must remember everything we have has been given by God. Nothing belongs, belongs to us in this regard. We are... They do belong to us. We do own our house and our car, but they're, who do they really belong to? That We are stewards. God has given them to us. Therefore, we must be willing to use our means to bless others. And one of the ways we do this is by opening our homes, our houses, our things, and allowing others to, to use them, the blessings God has given to us. I remember back in the day, Scott, when we came back and we had the sickness years and years ago, Scott moved out of his house for how long? Who knows how long? Long time. About a month or two months. What an example. That, you know, living overseas the years that we lived, often we would travel from country to country, and a lot of times we didn't even know folks, but we'd call folks that worked with us, and we'd say, hey, we're passing through. Can we stay? And they'd say, sure, come on in. Wouldn't know them from Adam, but... There they would be, and there they would let us come in, showing us hospitality. I think about the New Testament church, Acts 2.44. They had all things in common. The context of this hospitality is the, if we read the passage and look there a little, little bit deeper, the context of hospitality is the persecution found in the early church, particularly the persecution come from their 
Jewish brethren. So that's the, you know, that's the, the context of, of, of hospitality. Still, you should be willing to be hospitable to them. And then if we move on to the context of the New Testament, often preachers of the gospel would travel around. Jesus would send them out. And what would he say? He would say, when, you know, when you go out and someone receives you, there's the man of peace. They're being hospitable. The one who doesn't receive you, the town that doesn't receive you, shake the dust off of your feet. That's the context. That was very common in their times to, to, to show hospitality. Um, and so we should be doing the same. And I think just from a pastoral perspective, I've enjoyed and I've liked that we've had home groups. I know home, home groups are always different every year. Um, and one, one time you might have lots of children, tiny children, running here and fro. And, and other times, you will, you know, a year and a half, you may have very few or none at all. And, and each group is different. You know, we have a different teacher. We have different homes. We have different settings. But I think, generally speaking, this has helped us as a church to at least try to be a little bit more hospitable as we open up our homes. And the, the applications go on and on and on. But hospitality, that is one of the ways we worship. So how, how hospitable are you um, um, in, in being the steward that God wants you to be in using your things? Um, the next thing that we come across here, ethics of worship, is remember and associate with those who are persecuted. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Apparently, in their context, there were those who had been thrown into prison because of their faith in the gospel. We read about that in the New Testament. There were also many who were mistreated, maybe not thrown into prison, but they were mistreated because they believed in the gospel of Christ. This is very interesting that the, the writer here says that associating with those who are mistreated is an act of worship. Um, it's very interesting to me. This worship simply flows from the fact that we love our brothers and sisters in the gospel. Now, the problem with associating or identifying with those who are persecuted is the possibility, I would say no, even the probability that the same thing would happen to you. So if you start associating with someone who is proclaiming the gospel or standing up in an, in an ethical way as a Christian and they get persecuted, the problem is you're also, or you know, particularly when, when you're in high school, you're younger in your college and your friends are doing this or that and you know that that's not Christian but you associate with them then or the other opposite would be oh there's a Christian over here they're standing up for the gospel but you know what they are getting persecuted and people are making fun of them I'm not going to stand with them I'm not going to associate with them well the Bible's really clear we must associate with our brothers and sisters, even those that we may not agree with on everything and those who might be handling things in ways that we would not want them to handle things. But as the body of Christ, we must associate one with another. Jesus says to us, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. What happened to the 12 apostles? 
How many of them were killed? Eleven of them. Why were they killed? Because of their faith in the gospel. One of them was even worse. He was allowed to live and, be, and suffer and get sent to, into exile on the island of Patmos. That was John. Look over at Hebrews 11 with me. 36 to 38. It's a page over. Notice the, I would call this God's providence for the destiny of some Christians. In fact, many Christians, many Christians. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit emotional this morning. and I, I'm not going to name names or anything, but we heard yesterday that one of our colleagues from years and years past who was, who was um, taken there in a country serving, and she was, they, 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 there was a lot that went on, but they found her body, and it's been uh, 15 years, and they realized they did an autopsy, and they knew, you know, she lived about three weeks, and, and we knew the girl um, very godly, and it's brought back some others suffered mocking and flogging. This was her. And others, providentially, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The, this is the providential destiny of many, many Christians, and uh, we, we have a hard time with that because of the blessings that we have in this country as Christians. I, uh, things certainly are changing, and we're seeing a lot more persecution. And I think with the way things are going, we're going to see that more and more. And, and, and we are also going to come into this context, I believe, more and more. It's going to be more prevalent, not just one or two, but many. Because if we stand as we must stand in our worship, in our godliness, and in our stances for the gospel... The same things will happen as Christians to give acceptable worship to love our brothers and sisters is to stand with them knowing that we also may suffer the same I just this past week um, I know the the rapers family listens to uh, Al Mohler I think the boys you probably can memorize the first part of it right which one of them's got it Carson or Garrison I don't listen to it very often, but when I travel, sometimes I'll listen to a few of them. But in the briefing this week, Al Mohler shared about a report in Oxford, England. Did anybody hear that this week? A couple heads saying yes, so you'll know the story. And so basically the LGBTQ plus community there at Oxford, which is very large, they decided they would do a rating of churches and they would say, they put them on a rating of scale one to five. And so a rating of one meant that you are orthodox Christian standing as, by the way, Christians have stood on these issues for 2,000 years and for the 5,000 years, what I mean, before even in the Old Testament, there has been no difference on this. And so if you were a one, you were orthodox. In other words, don't go there. And there were, there were only a couple that he mentioned. But he said, we need to stand with them. On the other scale, I'm mixing this up a little bit, but on the other scale was the five. 
And so it just kind of scaled up to the five. When you got to the five, it was full on, just inclusive of everything in the sense that, you know, the, that, that particular movement, the LGBTQ plus movement, and what is going on in, in the world, particularly in the West, particularly in the West, um, of, of the gender stuff that's going on, was basically, there you go. If you want to go to a church that, that is fully inclusive there, then you go to, you know, that church. And so he was saying, we need to know this as Christians because we need to stand with them as we pray. And I just felt that coming out. And so we must do that. And this is part of our worship. Fourth ethical consideration here of worship is marriage. I put these two together. Marriage, marriage bed. Look at verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There's two main truths here. First, very clear, is the God-given, God-established, God-endorsed, God-pleasing institution of marriage. In the beginning, God gave Adam, well, he gave Eve to Adam and in vice versa, Adam to Eve. In marriage, first man, first woman together. So speaking about marriage. Second, here in this verse, the marriage bed is to be maintained as holy. Part of that, be fruitful and multiply. We understand what that is. We know what this means. So our two exhortations here from the text are first, to uphold the sanctity of marriage. First, and two, abstain from sexual sins. So, so when we think about these two issue, issues in our culture today, can you think of two sins, maybe uh, outside of abortion, and I'm not talking about that this morning, but two sins in our culture that are more detrimental on society than the breakdown of marriage, and then following that, all of the sexual sins that we see and that we hear about and that anyway we cannot I, I can't imagine it it's when I think about marriage just the first bit here marriage um, there is a difference between just living with someone and li or living with your partner and living with your spouse Everywhere we look and hear, now we hear of men and women living together and referring to one another as, as partners. I have friends, I have family that I, that I love and care for that, that, that do this. Men and women who choose not to officially get married and don't even call it marriage, but just to live together with no plans of ever formalizing and committing to marriage. Have you heard of that? Yes, every one of us have. If you're old enough to, to listen, yet you, you know that. That's what is going on. This, let me say, this lifestyle does not honor God, according to the Scripture, and the institution of upholding marriage. Concerning, you know, homosexuality and all the issues that stem from gender issues, gender sins. Men are, 
I think marriage is between a man and a woman, so I'm not using it in the right way, but men are marrying men, and women are marrying women. And then you have men who trying to become a woman, or a woman trying to become a man. And then they, in all these different combinations, then they also live together, sometimes call them their partner, or sometimes in defiance say this, I'm going to marry this person, and I'm being very strong here, brothers and sisters. But we see that. We see that, and we, we know. But, I mean, what, what else can we say here? This is wrong. God says this, these things are wrong. As Christians, no matter what happens out there, we must uphold the institution and sanctity of marriage. And I know it causes a lot of practical, applicable problems for us. I realize that. But at the end of the day, those are minor compared to standing for what is true. So, we must uphold the institution of marriage between a man and a woman. And we must do that no matter what persecution comes our way. We must. And the second part here, though, are the se these sexual sins. And I don't, I'm going to ask a question. Has there ever been a time in, in our history of such depths of sins in this area? Uh, Miss Holbrook, you're probably the oldest one here, the, the loveliest and most beautiful sitting back there with Blaine. But I, I, can you imagine what's going I mean, could you think back when you were a child? Or I think back when I was a child or when, you know, it's just escalating upon us, sexual sins. I, I don't think I've ever seen a time now, this is our culture now, seems to be more in the West, and it's different in different cultures and different countries, of course. I'm, I'm speaking about us. But concerning sexual sins, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where we have seen such. The word in, our, in, in Hebrews 13, again, and we talked about this a while back, the word is pornos which is where we get the word pornography. That's what he's talking about. And the meaning includes all sexual sins. So the upholding of marriage, and the second part, up, excuse me, sexual sins. And the text says, let the, marriage be un, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Well, so how do we do this? How do we guard the marriage bed? I think it's, it's very simple. It's, it's easy. So just listen. It's really easy. Husbands, <laughs> only be with your wife. Wives, only be with your husband. And I know there's a lot of scenarios here we can get at. Okay, I'm being very simple, though. And also, if you are not married, stay pure until when? You're a woman until God gives you a husband. If you are a man until God gives you a wife. That's how we do it. It's not rocket science. Ephesians 5, 3. It's very simple if you think about it. And I'm, I'm going very contrary to what you're going to listen to and what you're going to see in the TV shows that we watch. And we're just getting it and everything we're hearing. Ephesians 5, 3. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But notice these words. But sexual immorality and all impurity 
or covetousness must not even be named among you. Here we are, brothers and sisters at Grace Baptist Church. This is, this is the church that God has put us in in this body. Let it not be named here. Let nobody on the outside ever be able to say, this person is not upholding marriage and not guarding sexual purity. Let it not even be named among you. So brothers and sisters on this issue, everyone listening to me this morning, we cannot give in here as difficult as it may be. Also, it's very interesting that these two exhortations are put together because what guards sexual purity? What guards it? Marriage. When he talks to the men, Paul says, you know, it's better get married, not burn. There. Let it not be named among us. And so marriage keeps us from sexual sins. It's, it, again, this is not rocket science. And I, I would say that, that I, w- <clears throat> I would have to say that, that, that those of us in this room, including myself, particularly before I was a Christian, we've all been, at least in our hearts, if not outwardly, been involved in such sins, Okay. But we have the table. The Lord Jesus covers our sins. He covers them all, every one of them. Let's move on. And let me mention one more thing here. It says, it's very clear with this particular one. He says, um, if not, if we don't do this, the judgment of God is, is just waiting for us. Contentment. Contentment. That's the last thing we see here um, in, this, in this part before we move on to the Lord's Supper. But verse 5, look there with me. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Here we have, so again, this is being content with what you have is an act of worship. All of these things outside of the body. I mean, outside of this building, not just coming to Sunday morning to sing and pray and listen to the word preached. But here we have the example of loving money. Material things. And this is an example of lack of contentment. Um, which is clearly given to us in the 10th, uh, in the tenth command of, of Mosaic Law. Do not covet. Okay, Do not desire your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, or your neighbor's things, or your neighbor's position. Look back. With me at chapter 10, verses 32 to 34 for the context. Contentment. 10.32. But recall, again, this is the Hebrew Christians, but recall, remember the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, as I've studied this just a little bit more, we, I, I think what was happening there was that when, when their brothers and sisters went to prison and other brothers and sisters were, did not go to prison, but then they went to take them food and things and associated with them, then all of a sudden those Christians then became the target of persecution just like those. And maybe they were also going to be thrown in prison or 
while they were, while they were visiting those who were in prison, someone would come and take the property out of their house, plundering their property. And so I think what he's saying probably is that recall those former days. They're not going on right now but when I'm writing this, but recall those days and just remember that you, what got you through that. You were willing to associate with those lowly because you were content with what God had given you. And so um, Jesus often speaks of the love of money as an example of covetousness and a lack of contentment. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 19, 24, he says again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, let me just be very clear. He is not saying a rich person cannot go to heaven. It kind of sounds like that. But there were often wealthy people in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, that were great benefits to the body of, to the saints, the, the church. He's not saying a rich person cannot go to heaven. He is saying a rich person who loves their money more than they love God cannot because that is idolatry. <laughs> Why? Because he or she loves his money, her money, more than he or she loves God. This is, again, idolatry. And at the end of the day, it is covetousness, as even as Greg talked about this morning. The, the key to counseling is to finding God, uh, to, uh, to, to have God as your treasure. To love God more than we love the things that are coming our way and the temptations when we are lured by them because something that's in our heart that is idolatrous, that loves something else, some person, something, whatever it is, less than we love God. And so, you know, I often say, you know, where your treasure, where your heart is, your treasure will be there. Where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. And so I'm not going to say too much here. I know I've taken a, a long time today. Um, but how are we in being content with what we have? Are we keeping up with the Joneses? There they are, right over there. <laughs> and I'm half Jones too. So we must be content with what we have. And, you know, I think, you know, when, when, when it's not just with money, though. It could be lots of other things. Are you content with the job that... God has given you now. Uh, I know you, know you may not be satisfied right now, but God has given you that job for now. So how can we be content in that? It may be a family situation where everything seems to be chaotic and falling apart, and you're saying, God, why am I going through this right now with the chaos that's going on in my family and the sin and the mess that's going on? Well, I think we need to be Content. What about a physical ailment that we cannot change? We can pray, but we, we cannot change unless God changes. But we can't change it. All kinds of things I could bring in here. I didn't, now, I didn't say that you have to love your situation. That's not what the... Because I've been through some of these situations I've just mentioned, and you have as well. We absolutely do not love them. But we should learn to be content in some way. Why? Because God is our treasure 
And we've received a kingdom, Hebrews 12, that cannot be shaken. So I'm going to stop there. That concludes the first part of the sermon. Acceptable worship is what? One hour here. Today it might be an hour and a half. One hour here or is worship 24-7? It is 24-7. So how do we worship? When we leave here, just a few examples. Brotherly love, hospitality, remember those who are lowly, uphold marriage, and abstain from sexual sins, and be content with what you have. That is what worship looks like. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Present your bodies. Acceptable worship. Now, as we turn our focus to the table this morning, how can we do that? Because I've just given you a lot of commands and a lot of applications, and the writer of Hebrews is saying that. But look there with me at verse, into verse, let's go just straight to verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. So the source of our help is the Lord. Forever he is with us. We sang that song this morning. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Again, our author turns to the Old Testament, as he normally does, as he quotes a passage from the Old Testament. I don't know which one it is, because this one is quoted differently, but the same in a number of places. So we don't know exactly where he's getting this one. But over and over and over we see this, because God says that. The point is clear. We cannot worship in godliness and do this from the heart unless the Lord Jesus helps us. We cannot. This is the power of the gospel of Christ. So as we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, as we worship here and as we worship 24-7, as we live in godliness, we remember what Christ has done for us. And our godliness, your ability to stand up in school or to stand up at work or whatever we do, the ability to do these things that we just talked about comes from the help who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11 to 14. Listen to these words. Here's the gospel. This is what we remember. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. That's talking about in the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation going out to the ends of the earth, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly, worldly passions. So today, if you've heard these things, this is training us. If you're listening with ears who can hear and eyes who can see by the Spirit, this sermon, this is, what, this, this is what's happening in this sermon. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. As we take the Lord's Supper, we take it until when? Until He comes. Those are His words. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you are a Christian, it is because God has miraculously 
worked in your heart and in your life and given you great power through the power of the Holy Spirit here as his own possession and we become zealous for good work. So if you are a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, how zealous are you to do the very things that I just said this morning? And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. <clears throat> it's not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the application at the end of the day, as we take the Lord's Supper right now here in a moment, as we, as we remember the application, I will not fear what can man do to me. And so as we leave this place, let's think about these things we talked about this morning, brotherly love and I'm not, you, you remember them. I, I, I can't remember them all. I want to go back through, but remember these things, plus a, lots of other things. But know that worship is 24-7, and the way that we go about that is because the Lord Jesus helps us, covered our sins. We remember, if you, again, if you look here this morning, you hear this morning, you go, I'm convicted. Well, I'm convicted this morning, and I hope you are as well, so what do we do? Then we say, we remember the Lord Jesus died for our sins. He laid his life, laid down his life on the cross. God poured out his wrath upon him, not us. And by faith, if we're trusting in him, who died and rose again, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father where he rules above all, then, then the blessings of God are ours and we can worship 24-7. So with that in mind, I... Um, if you are visiting this morning, I'm not sure if we have any visitors this morning or not, but we'll, <clears throat> it, we do practice open communion. If you are a baptized believer and not under discipline from another church, you're welcome to come. We'll do it uh, the front. We're kind of confusing everybody here. Just pick one side or the other. Go with one way or the other um, as we normally do. And so let's just take a moment, though, just to consider the sermon, consider our own sins, um, and then I'll lead us in a time of prayer, and then Blaine will come up, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words this morning. I pray they would not fall on deaf ears. As Christians, we remember uh, the death of our Lord Jesus who covers our sins. And I know for myself, I confess that in all of these areas that I just mentioned, I have sinned against you. But the Lord Jesus has covered my sins. I have believed on him. I know whom I believe. And I know that he who began a good work in me will, will carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. And other Christians that are taking the Lord's Supper, the rest of us here too, we, we would say the same. We say that together. I pray that you would help us, help our faith grow as we remember, as we are New Covenant Christians. Father, that have been given the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us grace this morning. Increase our faith and help us to do these things as we um, walk out the doors this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.